0: Good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. Thank you. My name is Becky. I'm on staff here at Pleasant Street Church. And it's a joy to welcome you to worship this morning. For those of you that are visiting and worshiping with us online, a warm welcome to you as well. A couple announcements for you. We will be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. And so be sure that you have, if you're here in person, be sure that you have picked up your elements. And for those of you that are worshiping online, you're going to want to make sure that you have that ready to go as well. The good news is a lot of you have said, hey, these are different. Yes, they are. And guess what? They taste better. (laughs) So make sure that you've picked it up before you come in. I believe that Thalia is out there greeting you anyway when you come in to make sure that you have it. But uh, we want to make sure that that is ready to go. That's all that I have this morning, so why don't we quiet our hearts now in a time of preparation for worship. Oh God, you pour out the spirit of grace and love. Deliver us from cold hearts and wandering thoughts that with steady minds and burning zeal, we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen. We light our Christ candle this morning. As a reminder that Jesus is here with us in our worship. I invite you to rise in body or in spirit now and join in our call to worship. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High.
1: To the music of the ten string lyre and the melody of the harp.
0: How great are your works, O Lord! How profound are your thoughts! You, O Lord, are exalted forever. Let's sing and exalt our God. All
2: creatures of
0: Wondrous God, who set suns and moons above us, mountains and valleys beneath us, and friends and strangers among us, how often have we tried to hide from your presence? How seldom have we looked for your creating face and your fashioning hand? And we say together, Lord, have mercy upon us. Wondrous God, who took upon yourself flesh of our flesh in Jesus our brother. And being found in human form, may the ultimate disclosure of yourself in the face of Christ Jesus. How often we have forgotten you. How seldom have we really loved and followed you. Christ, have mercy upon us. Wondrous God who pours out freely the Holy Spirit. How often have we ignored your promptings. How seldom have we asked for your help or accepted your gifts lord have mercy upon us amen let's continue in prayer and song people said amen friends the knowledge of that grace the peace of Christ be with all of you you. let's share that peace with each other
3: Friends, good morning. Good morning. 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 That's better. For those of you uh, whom I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Matthew, and I'm the senior pastor here at Pleasant Street, and I have the great honor and privilege to lead us in a congregational prayer together this morning. When we gather, as we do for worship, we do so to offer up uh, our need of God um, and uh, to offer our praise and also to ask that God... Uh, would make the grace that we have found more available in the world around us. And so we bring our needs and the needs that we see in the world around us up to God, asking that he would move among us and in the wider world. And when we pray as a congregation, it's not just our voices, but in fact we are participating in the living body of the church from all times and all ages. And so uh, as I sometimes do today, I'm going to use some very old words to shape our prayer. They come all the way from about the fourth century uh, from a prayer attributed to John Chrysostom, which is sometimes used by our brothers and sisters in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And you actually have a role to play in this prayer as well. It's responsive. And so, throughout the prayer, I am going to be saying, let us pray to the Lord, and when I do, I would love it if you all could join me in the room and also at home in saying, Lord, hear our prayer. So let's try that together. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That's great. This is a way for us to remember that I am speaking, but this is our prayer. So let's go to God together now. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the peace from above, for the loving kindness of God, and for our salvation, for reminders of our salvation, for those that we have experienced in worship today, for reminders of your amazing grace, through song and through word, for the table set before us which we long to taste even now, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the peace of the world in a dark time of violence, hunger, mass migration, and selfishness, for nations quarantined, and for those battling outbreaks of virus, For the unity of the Church of God in an age of cynicism and apathy, and for the well-being of all peoples, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For this gathering of the faithful, and for all who offer their worship and praise today, for pictures on the screen that remind us that we are a family, even if we haven't seen each other in a while, for our brothers and sisters in Whitensville, who worship you as well at St. Patrick's and Life Song, Blackstone Valley Methodist, Village Congregational, Trinity Episcopal and United Presbyterian, at Fairlawn and Emmaus City and the River, for the tools and technology to gather in new ways, for the hope that we will see each other again in worship, for your Spirit who comes and turns living rooms into sanctuaries. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer for all the baptized, and for all who serve in this church, for elders, for deacons, for coffee servers, for Sunday school teachers, for sound and video persons, for staff and volunteer leaders, for vocalists and musicians and scripture readers, for administrators and pastors, for nursery attendants and greeters and hospitality teams and facilities teams and financial stewards, for all these servants and many others, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For our elected officials, for Joe and for Charlie, and for the selectmen in our town, Charles, James, Alicia, Thomas, and Russell, and for the leaders of the nations, and for all in authority given by you, O Lord, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For Whitensville and all of Northbridge, for its well-being, for its conforming to your will, For those who suffer in the cold and those who work to help them, for Amazon and UPS and FedEx and postal service deliverers, for grocers and mechanics and those who work in utilities to keep our town running, for our witness among our town, for every city and community here in Massachusetts, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For those who are aging or infirm, for those who are widowed and orphaned, for those who are sick and who are suffering. For Don, for Jim's family, for Gracie's family, for Ron's family, for Diana, Shiloh, Simeon, Kena, and Mariah, for Ruth and Steve and family, for Mark, Lillian, and Jocelyn, for those battling COVID, for those who treat and care for those who battle COVID, for all who are lonely or alone, for John, Sandy, and Johnny at the loss of their mother, for Phil at home with his family and his coworker who tested positive for Nagbi, Ellen and Nagbi Jr. and for all those we name silently to you now. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For those who are poor and oppressed, for those who are unemployed and destitute, for those who are imprisoned and captive, for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer for deliverance in times of affliction, for protection in times of strife, for provision in a time of need, for the ways that God cares for us with such faithfulness. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will be in the midst of them. Almighty God, you are more ready to hear than we are to pray, and you are disposed to give more than we desire or deserve. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions, as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come, life everlasting. Amen. Good
1: morning. Our reading this morning is from Psalm 92. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. From Luke 6, 1 through 16, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: We've been going through the Gospel of Luke together, and before we go any further, let's invite God into this time and place to help us understand. Would you pray with me? Lord of all creation, you chose the Sabbath day to show your followers and your critics what Sabbath means. Rest and renewal in your presence. Lord Jesus, on this festive day of rest, send your Holy Spirit and renew us in the good news that you have finished the work of redemption for us. In that freedom, show us how to rest from our work and how to work always from a place of rest. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You don't have to read the Gospels in the New Testament for very long before you discover that. It can be dangerous business asking Jesus a question. More often than not, you won't really get an answer, and instead, he will probably question you, which is more or less what happens today when the Pharisees come to ask Jesus what, by what reason he justifies doing things that break the Sabbath, and Jesus winds up asking them why they don't keep it, and they are furious. But if we're gonna understand this interaction and this controversy, we have a little housekeeping to do first. So bear with me for a moment. Because sometimes Jesus gets characterized as the person telling all of the rule followers to just take it down a notch and not be so uptight. Like, as in, don't be such a Pharisee. But the Pharisees, contrary to popular uh, opinion, are not so much rule-hungry killjoys raining on everyone's parade. They're a lot more like cultural heroes. You see, what we have to remember, first of all, is that Israel is a conquered people. The Romans are in charge. They're not the first ones, but they're the ones in charge right now. And, And that is, after all, what Rome did. They conquered people. And whenever the Romans went and wherever they went, they brought Roman money, and they brought Roman leaders, and they brought Greco-Roman culture with them. Inevitably, this meant that Greek philosophy, Greek approaches to sex and the body, Greek approaches to truth, came as well. And those Greek and pagan values would begin to filter into the lives and the communities of those conquered peoples. Rome was not famous for being a society paragon of virtue, okay? <laughs> and so for Israel, a people called to a very distinctive way of life, a way of holiness. Rome threatened not just to conquer them, but to assault them with immoral, cosmopolitan, pagan values. Suddenly, there's more violence and nudity on the potty- pottery. Pottery. And in the marketplace, well, seems like you can't even take the kids there anymore. You never know what they might pick up in the conversations they overhear. And people are marrying outsiders. What's going to become of the family structure? Well, now, in Israel, you have a couple of ways that people will respond to this changing cultural reality. There are the Essenes. And the Essenes, they deal with this changing cultural reality by saying, we just need to leave. We need to get as far away from Rome and its influence as possible. We must circle the wagons, you might say, and move to the desert. And you also have the Zealots, who went the opposite direction, right? Their approach was to say, this is not the time for retreat, people. We take it back. And we do whatever is necessary, and we use whomever we can as an ally to take back our nation, even if it means violence. Well, then you also have the Sadducees, right, who are kind of like accommodationists, you could say. The Sadducees, they might say something like, yeah, the world is changing, duh. (laughs) So we have to change some of the traditional interpretations, so we have to amend some of our practices we got to be where the people are. And then you have the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are kind of like a cultural resistance movement. And the Pharisees are saying, what we must do is we must be Israel as best as we possibly can be. We must follow the commandments as diligently and as passionately as we can. The Pharisees are the ones calling for prayer meetings. The Pharisees are the ones trying to bring revival. So when their society was being overwhelmed with pluralism and paganism, the Pharisees are the ones trying to return everyone to traditional moral values. And do you realize what that means? It means that the Pharisees are the last people that Jesus should have as enemies because they have so much in common. And the shocking, saddening, frightening thing to us is that today the Pharisees have not come with wonder to see the thing that God is doing in Jesus. They have come from Jerusalem to investigate a threat to their religious project. Word is spread about Jesus. It's been spreading since chapter 4, and it's going wider and wider. And the Pharisees have gotten wind of this, and they've come to investigate. And just in time, it would seem. In chapter 5, when they arrive in the area around Capernaum, they first notice that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And then they observed that his disciples were not fasting and praying. And then on one Sabbath here in chapter 6, they observe the disciples plucking grain heads and threshing them with their fingers and then eating them. And the problem is not stealing. It's not what they're doing. It's when. According to the Torah, the Sabbath is meant for rest. According to the Pharisees' interpretation of the Torah... This means that uh, the disciples are breaking at least uh, several of 39 types of activities that you could not do on the Sabbath. But then it gets even worse, because on another Sabbath, Jesus is in a synagogue, and a man with a withered hand is there, and Jesus sees him there, and Jesus is looking at the man, and the Pharisees are looking at Jesus, but actually a better translation might be spying. They are spying on Jesus to see what he will do, to see if he will heal this man. And so far, by the time that the Pharisees have arrived in chapter 5 and chapter 6, they've asked a number of questions. Why do you eat with sinners? Why don't you fast and pray like John's disciples? Why are you immoral? Why are you undisciplined? And now they ask, why are you breaking the Sabbath? But in the synagogue, it's Jesus who asks them, why don't you keep it? (laughs) Jesus in this moment is claiming that he is out Phariseeing the Pharisees. The irony is that Jesus is saying that these cultural heroes of Israel who are so detailed and fastidious about observing the law actually haven't kept it at all. And the proof? The proof is this man with a need right in their midst. And they couldn't see it. Religion binds and it blinds us to other people and their needs. No wonder they're furious. And the reason that they're furious is because Jesus is revealing to them, suggesting to them that their hearts are as shriveled as the man's hand Friends, Jesus is not critiquing Torah. My goodness, no. This is, after all, the man who said, I didn't come to abolish Torah. I came to fulfill it. He's critiquing religion. Religion that binds and blinds us. Before Tim Keller moved to Manhattan and became Tim Keller, he pastored a small church in a small town in Virginia, and he once told a story about a time after a sermon when a teenage girl, Furious, came up to him after a sermon with several questions of her own. Uh, She came to him Furious, and she explained that um, she had just been... uh, She was furious because Tim had just been preaching on what it means to obey God, what it meant to keep the law. It means, he said, to love your neighbor with all of the joy and the creativity and the ingenuity and the urgency with which we meet our own needs. That's the standard, nothing less. And afterwards, she came up to him furious and she explained that she had just been in a homecoming pageant with her best friend. She came in last. Her friend came in first. And she said, are you trying to tell me that the Bible says that I should be as happy for her as I would have been for myself if I had won? I, that I should be as excited with her as if it had happened to me? And Keller replied, well, actually, you know what? That's a pretty good application of the text. I wish I'd put that in the sermon. And then she looked at Keller and she said, Christianity is ridiculous. Who lives like that? Good question. Who lives like that? Who does live like that? Who does live as though life is not about moral performance or ethical purity or achieving cultural dominance? Who does live like that? Hmm. We don't. I mean, today in our complicated, changing cultural landscape, if there's one thing that we all have in common, it's that we are very religious people. In fact, one of the most religious places that I have ever lived in my short life is secular Northern California, believe it or not. What? I thought that place was godless, you might say. Well, yeah, I mean, religion looks a lot different there than it might look here. But that's the thing. You see, we think of religion as the program that you are running in life if we imagine ourselves as a computer right? You're, it's your values, it's your choices, it's your behaviors. And then we try to get other people to switch to our program, to run our values, to run our behaviors, to run our choices. But religion is not the program, it is the operating system. Keller's helped me immensely, a man who has lived in different worlds and The way that he defined religion is like this. He said, most people in the world believe that if there is a God, you relate to God by being good. Most religions are based on that, though there are a million different variations on it. Some religions are nationalistic. They would say that you connect to God by coming into our people, by becoming like us, by living in society like us. Other religions, though, are spiritualistic, right? They, you reach God by working your way inward until you discover some sort of personal transformation and then you emerge like a butterfly from a cocoon or something. Yet other religions are law-based and they say that there's an external code of conduct and if you, if you manage to get your life totally aligned with this external code of conduct, if you follow it, God will smile upon you. But they all have the same logic, If I perform, if I comply, if I obey, if I say the right things, if I do the right things, if I have the right friends, I'm accepted. I can rest. Religion comes in all shapes and sizes. We see it a lot more easily in others, though. Many times we're blind to our own. That is, until we come to Jesus and we find him doing something that makes us restless and uncomfortable, sometimes even furious. In his book, Jesus Means Freedom, Ernst Caseman, uh, last century, he tells this story about a church in Holland after World War II. There had been a number of severe storms in that area, such that, he writes, the place was so threatened by wind and waves that the dike had to be strengthened one Sunday if the inhabitants are going to survive. So the police notified the pastor, who now found him in a religious difficulty. Should he call out the people of the parish and set them to do the necessary work if it meant profaning the Sabbath? Or should he abandon them to destruction in order to honor the Sabbath? The pastor summoned the church council to consult and decide, and the discussion went as one might suppose. We live to carry out God's will. God, being omnipotent, can always perform a miracle with the wind and the waves. Our duty is obedience, whether in life or in death. The pastor tried one last argument, perhaps even against his own convictions. Did not Jesus himself, he said on occasion, break the fourth commandment and declare himself Lord of the Sabbath? Well, at that point, a well-respected elder in the community stood up and said, I have always been troubled, Pastor, by something that I have never yet ventured to say publicly. Now I must say it. I have always had the feeling that our Lord Jesus was just a bit of a liberal You see, and that's just it, though. That's that's how we come to see our own religious tendencies. You see, to traditionalists, sometimes Jesus will look infuriatingly progressive, and it makes us uncomfortable. To modern people, sometimes Jesus looks uncomfortably strict and moral, and it makes us restless. But to everyone, Jesus looks useless. Because all religion, whatever the kind, is about control. Religion tries to give us tools or words or practices or behaviors that promise us the ability to pull the levers on the universe so that we can harness God's blessing and favor to ourselves. And we bring this religious approach to Jesus. And whether we realize it or not, we want him to bless us. We want him to honor us. We want him to answer our questions. But Jesus is the one person in history who cannot be wielded. The Pharisees will investigate Jesus. And they will do what they can to try to bring him in line with their goals. And when they can't bring him in line with their cause, they'll kill him. The crowds will follow him, amazed and astounded by what he can do until he stops giving out miracles, and then they will chant, crucify, crucify. The governmental authorities don't know what to make of him, but they need him to go away because he just keeps rocking the boat. Over and over again, we come to Jesus asking him, why are you doing that? Lord, why do you eat with tax collectors? We ask that because we thought if we could just make the immoral people go away or get them to clean up their act, then we could rest. Lord, why do you condemn Caesar? Why don't you condemn Caesar for his injustice? We ask that because we thought if we could just get the bigots not to be bigots, if we could just get all the just laws in place, then we could rest. But Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, and it makes us restless. Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is his. And it infuriates us. Lord, why do you do what seems like the wrong thing? Why do you break the Sabbath? But it is Jesus who asks us, why don't you keep it? Well, we thought we were. There in the synagogue, he asks this man with the withered hand to stand. And then Jesus just looks. What is that about? What is that about? I wonder if he's looking to see if we can see ourselves. The Pharisees don't. According to the Pharisees, this this man's need is irrelevant to the Sabbath. He should wait till Monday to heal him. According to Jesus, this man's need is the very point of Sabbath. And so it has to be now. Because on the Sabbath, we remember creation. We remember that there is a seventh day to the world. We remember that God finished all the work and we have everything we need and now we are free to see to the needs of others. On the Sabbath, we remember Exodus. We remember that we were slaves crying out to God for a long time, not knowing if he could hear us. We could not reach God. We could not find him. And so God stretched out his mighty arm and came to us. On the Sabbath, we remember that we are meant to know the God who made us, who saves us, that is what it means to rest. Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Don't you find that interesting? He doesn't say, I am the King of the Sabbath. He could have. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And what he means is this I am, Jesus says, the deep rest, the wholeness. The sigh of contentment and relief that religion will not give you. On the Sabbath, we remember that for God, it was not enough just to make everything and set it running in the world in six days. All of that was a structure, a house that he was building, but it had a reason. It was leading to something. It was leading to what? To communion. It was leading to free and full life found between God and his creatures walking together, knowing each other, loving each other. Friends, we use religion to gain power over each other and God, but we don't actually want to control God. We want to know God. And what Jesus came to do was to reveal God and the way to life with him. And in the great irony of this gospel story, the rest... That God brings to us comes through the most restless, most disturbing, most irreligious act you can imagine. The meaning and fullness and wholeness of God comes to us through the utter uselessness and horror of Jesus' death on a cross. It is the end of all religion and the beginning of a totally new way of living in the world. It is a new operating system, a new heart a new spirit within you. And so on the Sabbath, we devote ourselves to Jesus, who called 12 disciples, some of them zealots, some of them Pharisees, all of them religious. And he called them out and away from those things to something more. He did not call them to follow a new program or a new study. He did not call them to follow a new set of behaviors or regimens or a new diet or a new platform or a new ideology. He called them to follow him, to give up religious sentiments and follow a God who would die for them, not to make a new faction in the world, but a whole new way to be human in the world. On the Sabbath, we devote ourselves to this, that in a profoundly religious world of people watching and judging each other for performance and infraction and fitness, we devote ourselves not to advice, but news, to the good news spoken over us again this morning, that God reaches out his arm to us, shriveled as we are, And God's arm is not too short to save. Christ stretched out his arm to us and his arms for us. And on the Sabbath, we remember that the one who created everything is the one who says it is finished. And on the Sabbath just now, he says to us, Come and eat. Come and drink. Come and remember that I have done it all and everything is ready. All we have to do is reach out our hand of faith, as Calvin would say, which Christ has restored for us. All we have to do is reach out and take it, to take, eat, remember, and believe in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord of all creation, you chose the Sabbath day to show your followers and your critics what Sabbath means, rest and renewal in your presence. Lord Jesus, on this festive day of rest, send your Holy Spirit, renew us in the good news that you have finished the work of redemption for us. In that freedom, show us how to rest from our work and how to work always from a place of rest. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, we already said it. We have a chance to respond to God together. We've come to the table and everything is ready. Whether you are gathering with us here at this table or whether you are gathered around your own tables at home, this is the Lord's table. Whether you are taking uh, grape juice and a wafer from this cup or you're using elements that you've prepared for yourself, this is a meal of faith. And it's not about uh, the quantity or the portion of the bread and the juice, but about the greatness of what God has done for us. And there is more than enough to nourish us with that, my friends. And so for those who are uh, new to this, uh, we are all new to this practice of communion where we take it with uh, with the wafer and the crackers. This is also a new way of doing it. And so uh, I'm just gonna remind you, we're gonna do one side at a time as opposed to layers. So make sure you don't open the juice side first because we're gonna do that. So if you wanna flip it over and find the the wafer portion, we're gonna do that at the top there to get ready for that. And because we want to spread gospel and not virus, if you would like to sanitize your hands, you can take a moment to do so. Uh, I'll, I'll wait if there's anyone there good. Bless you. Um, And for those of us who are young or new to this meal, uh, this bread and this juice reminds us uh, that God has cleaned our hearts. He has made us clean on the inside, right? So that's why we take this bread and this juice, if you're new for that. So friends, let's, uh, let's, let's celebrate communion together. Do we have the slide for, yeah, thank you. Friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Up Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Right our Would you pray with me? Covenanting God, you declared your wonders in the heavens, but made known your character in calling a people. You shaped your people's life through Elijah, Jeremiah, and the prophets. Then in Jesus, you made yourself fully known to us. And in his death and resurrection, you healed the past through forgiveness and released the future through the gift of life eternal. In the power of the Spirit, you called into being your church, never closer to you than when we gather at this table, as we long to gather at your heavenly banquet with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, singing the hymn of your unending praise, saying together, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. God of wisdom beyond our understanding, in Jesus you put on flesh that we might not know you from afar, but as one among us and as the host at a meal. In this sacrament of bread and wine, you open to us your heart. In your son's death, he was nailed to a cross, and in his resurrection, the disciples uh, touch his hands and his side. Come close to us in the power of your spirit, and make us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. Send down that same spirit that these gifts of bread and wine may be for us, the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ who at supper with his disciples took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and after giving thanks to God, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood. Whenever you drink this, Do this to remember me. For friends, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Friends, great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. God, our Savior, in Jesus, you healed a man whose right hand was shriveled. And likewise, in Jesus, you transform your world so long crippled by sin. As you make yourself present in the power of your spirit in this bread and this wine, alert us to be able to perceive your presence and transforming love wherever we see ourselves or others crippled by sin or suffering or sadness or oppression. Stretch out your hand and renew us in our places of despair. Reach to all your people in the woundedness and their grief. Reach into all creation as it groans in eager longing for your coming again, that we may come face to face with you, and you may know us in the likeness of your Son, ever one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for all those who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation, all who are sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who desire to live in obedience to him are invited now to come with gladness to the table of the Lord. For friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God, and blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Ready? So go ahead and open that top part. Brothers and sisters, take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Brothers and sisters, take drink, remember, and believe that the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Amen. Friends, the Lord who has gathered us here is the same God who feeds us at this table, is the same God who sends us out into the world full of good news, nourished by his grace I'd invite you to rise in body or in spirit and receive his parting blessing. Friends, as you have been fed at this table, go feed the hungry. As you have been set free, go to set free the imprisoned. As you have received, give. As you have heard, proclaim. And the blessing that you have received from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be always with you. Amen. Let's go singing.
1: to rage against the captain.